Under the Tartan Sky, episode 67, produced 18 January 2020. Scotland's history, much like its natural scenic beauty, can be both breathtaking and at times dark and brooding. The story of Scotland is dominated by larger-than-life characters, William Wallace, Mary Queen of Scots, Robert the Bruce, Bonnie Prince Charlie, and Ravi Burns, to name only a few. But read between the lines and there is so much more to know and learn. I'm Glenn Moyer, and today two Scottish lassies are taking a new look at Scotland's history, going beyond a simple Google search and sharing their findings one story at a time with their still young but aptly named podcast, Stories of Scotland. In a moment, we'll meet co-hosts Jenny and Annie, learn what brought them together, and how the podcast is bringing joy to themselves and their new listeners. That's coming up here under the Tartan Sky. Water. It's the lifeblood of Scotland. Water gives us our unparalleled seafood and our iconic whisky. It shapes our magnificent scenery. In Scotland, 2020 is the year of coasts and waters, where a vast array of special events are on tap to celebrate more than 10,000 miles of coastline, our rivers and streams, and of course, our world-famous lochs. Whether you choose to go down the water on a yacht or paddle steamer, explore a coastal castle ruins, or bag a Monroe to enjoy the view from high above the loch. History, heritage, and unmatched hospitality await you. When you visit Scotland in 2020, the year of coasts and waters. History. In its purest form, it is simply the story of what came before us. Storytelling is an art form, defined by the National Storytelling Center in the USA as, quote, the interactive art of using words and actions to reveal the elements and images of a story while encouraging the listener's imagination, end quote. Like many nations, Scotland has a tradition of oral and written storytelling, you need only look to the reverence afforded to one of their best, Robert Burns, to know the truth in that. Indeed, Scotland celebrates its strong tradition of storytelling with its own storytelling centre, located on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. The centre celebrates Scotland's culture year-round and is a hub for the annual Scottish International Storytelling Festival. On its website, the centre notes, quote, Humans are hardwired to love stories, end quote. Well, if that's true, then the future is bright indeed for two young lassies in Inverness who are exploring Scotland's rich history and sharing their findings, often with a touch of comedic entertainment, in a relatively new podcast called Stories of Scotland. Jenny Johnstone is a cartographer working in forestry qualified in environmental science. Annie Gilfillan is an archivist currently doing a Ph.D. at the University of the Highlands and Islands in Highland Folk Memory and Culture. 
With Jenny originally from the lowlands and Annie from the highlands, their view of Scottish history is like a fine tartan woven with both a warp and a weft, though either of the pair is likely to wander off the straight and narrow at a moment's notice, taking their listeners on a zigzag journey before reaching their destination. Or, as the famous song goes, one may take the low road and the other the high, but at least we all end up in Scotland together. And it's not just age-old history from dusty books left far too long on the shelf that the two share on their podcast. Two recent episodes featured Jenny and Annie having a blether with Annie's gran and grandpa, or papa as she calls him, each recounting the days of their youth, living through World War II in rural Scotland and coming of age in the years that followed. I was listening to these episodes on a drive across Texas as I headed home to see family for Christmas, and suddenly I was awash in my own youthful memories of my parental grandparents who helped to raise me as a wee bairn. A smile fixed itself upon my face, and I laughed out loud when Annie's papa, having been asked by Annie to introduce himself, replied as only a Scot would, you already know me. Jenny and Annie say they like to find stories of old and, in retelling them, often with new and unique perspectives, find relevance in the stories to today's life. One episode at a time, they also are trying to do their bit to preserve the art of oral storytelling. I first met Jenny and Annie last summer while visiting Scotland. I reached out to them after having heard the first couple of episodes, and they agreed to meet me for a coffee in Inverness, where the two now reside and record their show. Their warm welcome left me thinking I'd found two wonderful new friends, and as our time was far too short, I jumped at a chance to chat again, albeit this time from long distance. So I first asked the pair how they met and found that it was another shared form of storytelling, stand-up comedy, that brought the two together. I guess it started in the market bar. It did. This amazing little pub. It's tiny and it's upstairs. It's above a really old traditional Scottish pub and they've kind of made the upstairs which is even smaller this sort of strange little venue where you can have pub quizzes and live music and live comedy sometimes and we just met doing live comedy um doing some stand-up it's such a small venue that I think one of us maybe fell over the other one (laughs) yeah the stage the stage is probably I mean it's bigger than the bar (laughs) but it's one of the funnest places in in Inverness I think after Houdinani's maybe yeah because there's always live music or, or something going on there and people are very friendly and it's one of those spaces that's kind of so small that you end up speaking to everyone yeah and that's pretty much how we met just um I was telling silly jokes about Scotland and Annie was telling silly jokes about Scotland and <laughs> and just we were drawn to each other across this tiny room. Our hands <laughs> touched as we, we, we reached out from either side and the podcast was born. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not I'm quite like that. But Angels were singing. Uh, Jenny was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so a- angels were singing and Jenny was drinking. So that sounds like that a great uh, story. It was. So <laughs> we carried on. <laughs> so, um, so, but what attracted you then to the idea of a of a podcast? Seriously, I mean, how did you go from doing stand up comedy and becoming friends to deciding, hey, I know, let's go do a podcast together. The reason I got into stand-up comedy in the first place was because I wanted to meet other people to do podcasting with. Because the podcasts I listened to, I loved. They were filled with comedy and entertainment and 
I just wanted to meet someone else who had that same sort of natural quirk and talkativeness. And I thought the best place to do that is a comedy club. So I started doing stand up and it worked pretty perfectly, really. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I've, yeah, I've just kind of been drawn to them since I started listening to them. I just think it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. So comedy was a means to 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 an end then. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was a long-term plan. I don't do much comedy anymore because <laughs> podcasting takes all my time. <laughs> and so Annie, was it Jenny that came to you then with the idea of the podcast? How did that happen? It was really strange. I remember this. It was a cold, rainy summer's night mm-hmm. and we lived together and we were doing something in the garden shed. <laughs> and I think we'd maybe been building a house for our chickens and um, we were both just saying about, I, I was telling Jenny, I really want to make a podcast all about Scotland. And she actually ran inside. She got her notebook <laughs> and all of the things that I'd been saying that I really wanted to podcast about Scottish history and nature and so on and on. She'd she'd been writing in her notebook. Yeah, so we had we, the same idea. We had exactly the same idea at the same time. And I think that just goes to show that it was a, it was an idea that needed to be made, you yeah. know? We both wanted to be listening to that kind of podcast. Yeah, that's exactly I remember when I was writing down ideas for podcasts I wanted to make, it was literally, I searched like Scottish podcasts and obviously I didn't search hard enough blank because I didn't find yours, but I couldn't find anything made by anyone Scottish that was, you know, what I wanted to listen to. So that's where the idea for me came from. And then, but I knew, so I'm, I've got a history in environmental science and I hike a lot, a lot of really into nature and know my stuff there. But when it came to the history of Scotland itself, I really don't know that much. And that's where Annie and I's knowledge really complements each other, I think, um, which makes such a good balance to the podcast that we produce, I think. Yes, because I'm an archivist and I absolutely love history and heritage and almost almost every little aspect of history, whether it's an incredible Pictish stone in a museum or even outside some of them, to just, you know, an old recipe for gruel from a workhouse. <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll, you know, one day I'll just be like, hey, Jenny, want to try some gruel? And <laughs> we should do that, actually. You should, we, should, we should have a week of old recipes. Oh. Only I'll cook them and make them even worse than they <laughs> But yes, I just, I love all of these little aspects of history. And I think part of it as well is that we wanted to find stories that weren't being told online mm-hmm. or anywhere. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff you hear about Scotland is quite, it's niche in a sense that it's like a niche of a cliche of Scotland a lot of the time, you know, bagpipes, haggis, all this kind of thing. And we wanted to sort of expand from that and say, okay, well, that's what everyone knows about Scotland. What didn't people not know about Scotland? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we share that because I know I've had people make the comment to me, some of my friends in Scotland, that, you know, there's far more to Scotland than what you see on the shortbread tin. And that's kind of a, a nice way of saying, you know, Scotland is far more than the cliche of just, you know, tartan, bagpipes and haggis. But I think we really enjoy playing with that stereotype as well, <laughs> which is why we ended up doing a two part on the Loch Ness Monster. We started <laughs> that as a wee bit of a joke on, you know, what's the most famous thing about Scotland. Yeah. And then we find all of these stories that we'd never heard. Yeah. Of. <laughs> all you hear about is a monster, not, not the other things that go on around her. 
So how do you come up with your topics and, and then what appears to be an amazing amount of research that the two of you do to find, as you said, anyone can, can Google and find information about Loch Ness and the Loch Ness Monster, but you turned up some really unique bits of history that I'd not heard of. And you shot down my favorite theory that he's a, a prehistoric dinosaur trapped you know, in the loch. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um. How do we decide the episode topics? I think it's a natural process. A lot of the time we'll start on one and we'll be writing it and one of us will uncover something that both of us, it has nothing to do with what we're actually researching. I tend to go on massive tangents and end up in a completely different part of the internet, which then kind of births a new idea for a new episode. And Mm -hmm. we just jot them down as we go along and sometimes we plan them really well and sometimes we just sort of fire them out yeah and sometimes one of us will just be struck with inspiration <laughs> for example a very rainy again summer's day everything happens on rainy it summer's does, days for it us does. jenny said we have to do an episode about rain yeah. and we were both just so enchanted with that idea that that became our little obsession yeah. for a wee while um and then with research um, because I'm a I'm a historian and an archivist, spend a lot of time in the archives trying to dig up things that haven't been seen often. I I always try to find something that's from a paper record that's not online yet, so that I know that this can't just be googled. Um, and then we've got a lot of charity shop books yes. just lying about the house. <laughs> mythology uh, <laughs> books scottish history books i'm reading one right now on prehistoric scotland and the guy's like basically this is all made up because we're not sure <laughs> so it's basically a fiction book about the history of scotland it's great <laughs> And how lucky when you did your uh, your episode on rain, which I loved, to uh, almost at the same time have uh, the word "drich" named as Scotland's favorite word. I mean, that just played right into your hands. It did it? Did although my personal favorite one is "minging." Minging. Yeah, I think it's just such a beautiful Scottish word. See, and mine is "numpty." Ah, uh, also great. Also great. What's your favorite Scottish word, Danny? Oh, pressure's on. Oh, I know. Yeah. What's chicken and garlic? <laughs> um, oh, that's oh, it's such a hard one. You know what? I do really like Drake, but from the same episode, I I actually found the word dagastu, mm. which was a Shetland fisherman word for rain, and now I use it in as much conversation as I can. <laughs> um. Were you both avid podcast listeners prior to starting your own? Very much so. Um, I do a lot of walking. And when the weather is really good, I like to just admire the environment around me and the gorgeous landscapes. Um, But when it's raining and a wee bit miserable, that's when I like to listen to podcasts. So in Scotland, that's quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I do. And I listen to everything from science podcasts to doctor podcasts um to other other history podcasts i absolutely love history podcasts um i listen to everything yeah i what was the question again (laughs) (laughs) oh we're podcast fans yes sorry i'm a huge podcast fan i kind of got into them when i was training to hike up america which was um basically just two or three hours of a step machine at a time 
and I was just really, really bored. Uh, so I would just stick on cereal. I'm a child of the cereal podcasting generation, really got me into podcasts. And then when I was hiking up America, same as Annie, when it was beautiful, it was, um, it was great just to be immersed in nature. But some days it would rain for like a week at a time. And by day four, you're like, I do not want to be in nature right now. I want to be transported somewhere else. So I think I listen to mainly American podcasts. I know you listen to a lot more British based ones, but I prefer the American sort of info educational podcasts. No, sorry. Edutainment. That's the one. (laughs) I find that British podcasts are a lot slower and more waffly and perhaps a bit less produced than the American ones. See, that's why I don't like them. I I like the highly overproduced American ones. Yeah, I love them. They're great. I I like it when it sounds like they're they're just having a conversation over a cup of coffee, and maybe the the producer has left the room for a while, <laughs> <laughs> and they've they've not got any script and they don't really know what's happening, but they get some beautiful improv. Jenny, for my own edification as well as for some, perhaps some of my listeners, uh, you say you started listening when cereal came out. Now, to me, cereal is either a breakfast food or it's r- the really old movies where there was where you'd go to the the show every Saturday and see a a cereal episode of some, you know, um, uh, Flash Gordon or something. So, so what cereal are we talking about here in, in your reference? <laughs> so podcasts have been around for a really long time actually people are always surprised um like joe rogan has been podcasting for over a decade sort of thing um but what really kicked it off into the modern sort of huge boom that we're going through was this american life brought out a series based on a guy called adnan Said who had been in prison for 14 years at the time and probably now 18 or 19 years since it came out Um, for a crime that either he did or didn't commit but they then go into amazing depth and detail about it Um, and it was the first properly well done crime investigative piece of podcasting and it just absolutely took off and the tv show um, making a murderer actually is sort of a spin-off from that you know they kind of took that idea and moved it onto netflix um but yeah so that was like if you trace the podcasting boom back to when it what started it it was serial coming out i highly recommend it it's brilliant also serial season three s-town is my favorite podcast series full stop that's ever been made true crime is the only type of podcast that i can't be bothered with really i listen to one true crime one (laughs) um but only because i love the the i love the hosts Mm-hmm. They're great. Last podcast on the left. Just plugging them because I love them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, see, I just learned a little bit of podcasting history, which is what I love about your show. I, I, I <laughs> always, um, I don't always learn something about podcasting history, but I certainly usually learn something about Scottish history, and that's of great interest to me. How much research goes into your shows? I mean, I, I assume you both have day jobs, and so if you're like me, this is kind of a sideline and probably mm-hmm. a, a not very uh, financially rewarding one. And so how much time do you spend putting an episode together? Um, We spend hours on each episode. I think the amount of research that we actually do compared to what we find, what we think our audience are going to be really excited (laughs) hearing about. Um, I'd say for the amount of research that we do, probably about 5% of it makes it into an episode we read we read a lot of material and as well um how to put it like 
A lot of the inspiration for the podcast comes from natural places as well. So when we were talking about Kousi, we've been there a couple of times mm-hmm. to do to do kind of just field research. Yeah. Slash immersive podcasting. Yeah, we just wanted people to know because Kaisi is actually quite a dangerous place to scramble around. And we <laughs> thought the vast majority of our listeners are never going to be on the Murray Coast. And if they are in the Murray Coast, they probably value their lives too much to go into <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we thought let's scramble about here and and find the real kind of the the ambience of the caves and bring it back to people, which is probably why that ended up in a two part episode yes. as well. Yeah. It was a lot to find. And I think that's part of the reason that I chose to do an, an interview style show because one, I, that's what I've done in all my broadcasting careers. Uh, I was always good at interviews. And uh, two, I don't have to do all of that research. I only have to know enough to ask intelligent questions. I don't have to, I don't actually have to present the information. <laughs> so I think we love the research. Yes. Yeah, I mean, my favorite part, I think it's really exciting when me or Jenny come to each other and say I've found this and I've googled it and I can't find it anywhere else and that that feels really special when we get moments like that and Mm -hmm. we usually have little bits of information in every episode that are if they're online they're still very very hard to find yeah a lot of digging, a lot of tabs, or con- so many tabs. But then I spent so much time reading them, I get really sad about closing a page of tabs because I feel emotionally attached to them. And so my computer is going so slow right now because I think I still have tabs from like maybe Rain open. Yeah. <laughs> At least Tom Nahura Hill, I've still got that one because there were some fantastic sites on yew trees I found that I v- revisit sometimes when I'm bored. Um. We've discussed offline clearly. We all have the the gift of gab. None of us are uh, wallflowers and afraid to to speak. But did either of you have any previous recording or broadcasting experience of any kind? How did you approach that part of podcasting? Um, I experimented with a couple different things before, but nothing um, serious. It was always just trying to find, like I say, when I was looking for other people to do podcasting with, it was just sort of moving around spaces and trying to find the right people to do it with. Um, And I've got a sort of silly chat radio show that I do once a week with another girl I met at the comedy club, which is a lot of fun. Um, it's no research, very unscripted. And yesterday we actually cut short our chat so we could look at clickbait. So it's not exactly <laughs> not really comparable, but it is it is the experience that I had before I started. So <laughs> you see what I have to work with then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, my tabs haven't got information on them. They're just tab after tab of clickbait. <laughs> no, um... I think a lot of what we were doing was experimental mm-hmm. at the beginning, mm-hmm. just figuring out how to record in, I mean, we used to record in an open space, then we recorded in a blanket fort, <laughs> and now we record in a kind of semi-cupboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's it's been quite experimental in trying to get good sound quality. Um, I think also the format of the podcast. So the first one I did was like a casual chat podcast, but that was actually harder to do than a research one because trying to keep conversation natural and flowing is difficult if you've not really got a plan and you're trying to make it entertaining. And then I did a live show one, so it was like an improv one, but a lot of that is very visual, so that didn't really work. 
So I think that's how I settled on the idea that I wanted to do a sort of research-based one. Yeah. Um, it's it's quite lovely because we'll find these nuggets of research. Um, for example, an, an archive that we're maybe going to bring to life with a funny accent. But I won't have heard Jenny doing, for example, her, her Cockney street urchin <laughs> accent until, until it actually happens. Yeah, neither have I. <laughs> and, then, and, then, um, and, and it's so funny, the different kinds of research that we're doing, because I'll maybe be looking at archived newspapers, whereas Jenny knows that she'll be having to do a Dundee accent. So <laughs> I'll, I'll hear her upstairs uh listening to videos of people from Dundee and trying to practice. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm not quite there. The Dundee and Aberdeen accent is quite subtle, but if you hit the right notes, you can really tell where they're from. Still working on it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that, that, that is, to me is so charming about your show, uh, among many things. Uh, I became an immediate fan when I think it was Ginny did her, um, was it Dolphin Noises, I believe? <laughs> I love this because Annie hates this, yet that is the most thing. Like when we get people reaching out to us, a lot of the time it's about the dolphin noise. And I always screenshot it and send it to Annie. <laughs> <laughs> I, she tries to put the dolphin noise into every episode. <laughs> it's what the fans want. <laughs> Absolutely, give us what we want. <laughs> but no, I, I love the uh, the voices, the accents. It, was that something you were doing in your comedy routine prior, or was this something that was born of the podcast? I think my comedy was always fairly um, erratic and weird, but the accents didn't make too much of a show. I've always loved accents in general. My mum always is thinks it's hilarious that I now do them on the podcast because when I was younger, I would run around doing accents. And I'm by no means good at them, but I enjoy doing them. <laughs> it came as a big surprise to me <laughs> when I first... Because I, I saw my research as being really special and sacred, and I took... <laughs> All of these these beautiful historic documents to Jenny. I remember this so clearly in the Buffy episode. <laughs> and I and I was saying to her, you know, we've got this really serious and and it's it's full of sorrow and hardship um from a Bothy worker. It's his original testimony. His voice has never been heard. Can you read it out? And then she puts on this ridiculous accent. Well, I put on a regular man accent. Now you tell me he's 14 year years old. So I put on my 14-year-old accent, which is ridiculous. 14-year-old <laughs> boy. But it, it cracked me up, so. Yeah. I'm bad, Joel. <laughs> I, I, I actually do it's one of my favorite parts of your show and, and I think it harkens back to uh, I don't know if you two are familiar with the uh, the Ken Burns documentary on the Civil War the American Civil War but one of the more touching moments in that documentary is when they have various actors who read uh, letters uh, from that period, a letter that perhaps the husband would have written to his wife from the battlefield or something. And, and your show is filled with bits of uh, tidbits of history and information like that. But I love that Jenny uh, does the accents and, and gives a certain historical flavor to them, even if it is at times a bit comical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it because... One of the things we've got from a few other podcasters that have got in contact uh, are, are very impressed at Annie's ability to, one, find stuff in the archives, but then also bring it to life. And because sometimes it can be quite dry, this historical writing. Yeah. We don't talk that way anymore. That's not really the same context that we move in or we live in. And so 
giving it the accent and, and finding the right quotes as well, I think together really adds a nice snippet of history to it. Yeah, I would agree. It adds, I think, a great bit of context to it. And, and it adds an entertainment um, value to your show that I, that I, as a fan, and I am a huge fan of your show, I, I'll, I'll openly admit that, it, it really adds a level of entertainment that, that I find very enjoyable. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's very fun to do. We'll return to our chat with Jenny and Annie in just a moment. But for those of you who are new to their Stories of Scotland podcast, here's a wee excerpt of what we're talking about and the manner in which Jenny uses her accent's talent to bring to life some of Annie's historical research. The pair are discussing how traveler communities once lived in the Covesey Caves. Now, there's some really complex reasons for why Scottish travellers would be living in caves in the Victorian period. There were social prejudices against traveller communities, which would have meant that they didn't always have the freedom to camp. Also, bad weather or winters could have driven them to seek shelter in caves. So the articles I found were from newspapers originally published in Murray, which is the area where the caves are based, but they were also picked up by London newspapers. And this article from the London Courier and Evening Gazette, published on the 26th of October 1829, gave a bit of a whimsical description of the travellers in the cave. Jenny, can you channel your inner Londoner to read this quote? <clears throat> I'll do my best, Governor. <coughs> Gypsy wedding. Most of our local readers are aware that for several years past, a colony of gypsies to the number of 30 consisting of men, women and children, have tenanted a subterraneous sort of residence at Cove Sea, known by the name of Ells Ole. This singular place of residence is entirely the work of nature, and consists mostly of excavated rock. Its eccentric inmates somewhat happily characterise it as a house not made with hands. They take it into their heads at regular intervals of time to get up a bona fide marriage of two of themselves. The matches are not made in accordance with the feelings or predilections of the parties more immediately interested, but by majority of votes by the whole grown-up portion of the strange group. Thank you, Jenny. What kind of reaction and feedback are you getting from listeners? Your show is uh, what's just still just less than a year old, am I correct? Yeah, five months now. We started in July 2019. Yeah. So that's this year. Um, wow, yeah. Um, we get really lovely emails. And it surprises me because I've never, I listen to so many podcasts and I've never emailed the podcast host yeah. to say, I love your podcast. Um, but people do that. And it's just, it's really touching. It is. And um, it's it's on all mediums. We get Facebook ones, we get on Twitter, Instagram ones. It's really interesting to see who reaches out on what platform. And yeah, and, and, we've not had a bad one yet, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Actually, mine's coming. <laughs> going back to the reception we've got, I think it's really fun. My favourite thing is that we got... Um, a lady from America had been traveling around Scotland with her husband oh, for lovely. a few weeks. Um, and as they were going, they were stopping off at all the beaches, which there's just hundreds of them and they're stunning. And some of them are sandy and some of them are rocky. 
And on the rocky ones, she would pick up a pebble about the size of your hand. And then as she was driving to the next beach or her husband was driving, she was crocheting round the stones and giving them these little jackets. And so she left some of these hidden in, in, a, in a windowsill in the middle of Inverness for us to go and find. And then we found two of them and we posted on Instagram to say thank you. And then she told us that she made four originally. <laughs> And that two were lost, which is quite sad. Well, no, someone else clearly loves those. Yeah, someone else found these weird stones. Actually, they left two, but... (laughs) Kind of like a very personal geocache then. It was, yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. fun. It was fun that that the three of us got to meet up when I was in Inverness, and uh, that's kind of led to to having you here on on the podcast. Was yeah, uh, it was such a it was such a delight to to meet you in person and put faces and and live people to the voices I was listening to. That was certainly fun for me and and uh, part of my reaction to your show, which, as I say, I, I'm just an, an an unadulterated fan of and can't wait for the next episodes. Um, you always surprise me, at least so far. And I love the format how you've put you take these basic little small vignettes and then blend them together to tell a complete story i I think that's brilliant your format i really do like that thank you so much yeah that's definitely what we try and go for to so to hear that that's what it's being picked up as is great (laughs) yes i'm intrigued glenn what made you start and because we love your podcast too what made you start under the tartan sky well, it started from when I when I made my first trip over, I had so many friends and family who wanted to, you know, said, oh, post lots of pictures, tell us what you're up to, et cetera. And I didn't really know what a blog was at that point. So I did a little exploring. And so I created a blog. It, it still exists. It, it, I don't contribute to it very much anymore, but it's it's on um, uh, the site, if anybody wants to go to it, is a Glen in Scotland dot Scott. A lot of the early material is gone because I switched domains and lost a lot in the translation uh, or the transfer. But the problem with writing a travel blog about Scotland when you don't travel to Scotland is, um, well, fairly obvious. (laughs) (laughs) So I did some posts, two or three of which I'm quite proud of, where I started comparing the history of Texas, my home, to the history of Scotland, which is my ancestral home. But it still became very very difficult to keep the blog going. Now, in retrospect, I mean, I'm now blessed to get to travel to Scotland uh, every summer. I make an annual trip over, and, and maybe this summer will be coming twice, I ooh. hope. Um, so, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so I couldn't keep the blog going because I wasn't, I wasn't traveling in Scotland and writing about it. And I'm a broadcaster by background. And it occurred to me that I could Uh, With Skype and now a lot of other new technology, I could very easily talk to anyone in Scotland about anything very easily. And so that's really kind of the, the, the blog really begat the podcast, as it were, because I couldn't continue the blog to a level that I was... Uh, it was acceptable to me and something that I would be proud of writing and, and I thought other people would appreciate. But I, like you, I looked around and, and didn't find a lot in the way of podcasts about Scotland other than BBC taking some of their longer programming and breaking it up into smaller you know, podcasts, yeah. broadcast sorts of things. And, and there was some great travel bloggers already out there, many of them doing great work in Scotland. And I knew I couldn't compete with them. And so I thought, well, podcasting is is more my line of work. I thought it was an area that I could bring something uh, to and that I could contribute to other people's knowledge of Scotland, people like myself who are not Scottish but want to know Mm -hmm. and and have an affection for Scotland. And and so that was a niche I thought that I could fill. And maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but I'm having fun doing it. That's important, Mm -hmm. I think, that you you love it. And, And 
Thank you. It, it conveys to listeners, I think, when you have a real passion. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Annie. I think that's very true. I think, you know, your interest and your passion in any subject comes through. And um, and I think that's why I, I enjoy yours, because I sense that you, the two of you have a similar passion for Scotland, although you were born and, and you are Scottish and I'm not, but we have a shared passion. And I think that's why I was immediately drawn to your show. Oh, yeah. I think you're technically a bit Scottish, Glenn, if you... <laughs> <laughs> if you take the name in itself I know, if you take the name, you take the ancestry And you take the amount of whiskey that you consume <laughs> Well, I, I would only say, as I've told my, my sister um, Just because I post on social media a lot about whiskey Doesn't mean I'm having a dram every time I'm writing a post So one of the things I read that I, that I wanted you to share with, with my listeners uh, And perhaps with yours Was how you came up with the name Stories of Scotland I wonder if you would share that at this point. Okay, Stories of Scotland. Um, so, well, firstly, we really care about traditional storytelling, because which is why our first episode was on Bothy culture, because we loved the idea of a podcast that sounded like the kind of stories that people would tell around a fireplace. But then we also feel that stories are quite, quite kind of fragile, Especially, especially in this age where you'll maybe you'll see something flutter by on Facebook, but you'll never stop to really think about it, and and fragile in a way as well that they can often get lost, and and kind of buried under other piles of information, and and not come back to the surface. So I'm not sure if I'm saying this well. So we like stories of Scotland because it kind of stands for an SOS a little lifeline to storytelling and to this really, really vital part of Scottish culture that is is often left by the side of the road so that we can all take photographs to go on our short bed tins. I think also, like, I think what you're touching on is the oral tradition of Scotland, like mm-hmm. how our history is passed through mm. oral ways and that's really... Um, taken a hit since writing and it has almost been lost and we're trying to revive the idea that our history can still be shared and passed on through oral traditions and we're trying to trying to save that save our stories yeah and it's save our stories as in um we take we take information from old poems old folk songs um old stories that are kind of a bit ziggity zaggity and and Weaving. yes, try and make them relevant to the modern age, yeah. um, which is a lovely thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I agree with your, uh, Jenny, what you're saying about uh, the lost art of storytelling, well, the two of you. Um, and it's also because it struck me again, going back to that the Ken Burns Civil War documentary, another talent that we have lost with email and texting, et cetera, is the ability to write. And as I said, one of the things that struck me is how you go back and find bits of history and bring them to life in your show. And one of the things that struck me about Ken Burns' documentary is when these people, when the actors were reading these letters, was how eloquently people wrote mm-hmm. back in the 17, 1800s, and I'm sure even earlier, uh, but in the time, obviously, of our Civil War, the 1800s, um, the letters home are just so eloquently written. And no one writes letters anymore. There was just a lot of thought that went into it that we no longer have. Everything is sort of a quick, fleeting 
your initial thought is what you write rather than really constructing something that will last in the long term, I think. Yeah. And I think communication today is, is in a sense, very dry. And, and yet in a past era, it was very evocative, whether it was uh, oral storytelling, which is a great art, uh, or, you know, written storytelling. We just don't find that anymore. As you say, everything is so immediate. And now things aren't even spelt correctly in the interest of texting and, you know, making things as quick and as immediate as uh, as is possible. That to me is one of the downsides, uh, unfortunately, of technology. And I, I think the kind of the opposite of that immediacy is is kind of it, like the, the intimacy and emotion that you get from just slowing down to listen to stories especially when it's the older types of stories that maybe you have never connected with in your life it's like yeah. a message from your ancestors from people past i'd love to chat all day long but to wrap things up um i don't know if i've coined the term or not but i'd never heard it until i used it i i call myself a scottaholic you know it's hi my name's glenn and and i'm a scottaholic you know to me it's a term of someone that is literally almost addicted to scotland certainly i have a burning passion and a a, a desire to learn more and um explore it as much as uh, my physical visits there will allow me to and i know there are literally thousands who long to visit have been there and can't wait to go back so i'm curious from from your standpoint uh, two two young ladies who obviously um are Scottish, live in Scotland. What is it about Scotland that has this magical power, this uh, mystery or this mystique about it that seems to hold people in the in, in its grasp and make us long for it the way that we do? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think for me what it is is the idea that Scotland is like, it's just, it's this wild, untamable country that seems like, it always seems like you're able to, it feels like in moments you can grasp it and tame it and it's within reach. And then it's always very elusive and slips away. So I can hike to the top of a Monroe and feel really proud at what I've done. I've conquered this mountain. And then I look out and I just see hundreds of other mountains around me. And every day you explore more. And as you think you have a grasp or an understanding of the people or the culture or and even from being here, um, I learned so much more about it. And it's just got this wonderful depth and history that is like, it's it's also reflected in the land. So the plight of the people and the people that live here, you can read on the landscape um, in this raw, rugged, harsh environment that just we, these really strong people come from. And I think that resonates around the world. Um, I also think so many people were forced out of Scotland in the clearances um, that, we cover the globe in a way. And so that definitely adds to it as well. This longing for home that's sort of built into us, even generationally. Yeah. What about you, Manny? What do you think? Um, I think Scotland is also quite romanticised. And that <laughs> that's a nice way to draw... It's a nice way to draw people in as much as we laugh about it. I always... Yeah. Um, do you get Scots porridge oats over in the USA? Uh, no, I, I actually have a box of, uh, porridge, Scott's porridge oats in, in my cupboard, but we don't, um, 
it's not readily available here. You have to search for it. So when you look at the cover of Scott's Porridge Oats and you see the wee man in his kilt in a rugged Highland landscape, I think that's what draws a few. It's almost a hook that catches people to come further in and investigate <laughs> this because it's it's quite a unique culture. Yeah, well, I I will say this: uh, drawing rugged man in a kilt doesn't draw me to Scotland, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just to set the record straight. But but I understand your your point about it, the image is romanticized. We're back to that, you know, what appears on the on the shortbread tin. Um, it's not all kilts and bagpipes and whiskey and shortbread, et cetera, et cetera, in castles. Uh, there's far more to Scotland than that. So I, I understand your point about it's the romanticism that draws people It draws there. people in, but I think they become, they become enchanted by a few different aspects. So it's not just the stunning landscapes, but it's the incredible connection that people have with the land mm-hmm. and their relationship with nature. I think even if you're just admiring a pretty view in in Scotland, you end up feeling some kind of deeper connection to the environment. Um, I think while the the stereotypes and stuff draw you in, what's different with other countries is that they might not live up to the stereotypes, but Scotland very much, there's so much, it's deeper than that. So you get drawn in by a certain image or an idea, and then you learn the actual truth and it's it's better essentially but then i think as well so much of scottish history is kind of hardship and overcoming hardship and having this you know kind of humor about it even yeah being able to laugh at rain constantly <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, that's somewhat inspiring to people that you know you especially in the highlands where there's been the clearances, Culloden, so on and so on. And now people want to come here to see how stunning it is. I mean, it's it's a place that reminds you that everything gets better and you can still laugh when it's raining. My thanks to my guest, Jenny Johnstone and Annie Gilfillan, co-host of the Wonderful Stories of Scotland podcast. You can find their show on your favorite podcast listening app or for a direct link to their website, just visit our show notes on our website. That's at www.underthetartansky.scot. 2020 is the year of coasts and waters across Scotland, and it's a themed year of tourism meant to encourage and celebrate opportunities to enjoy Scotland's dramatic coast and amazing waterways while promoting responsible engagement and participation. When next we meet, we'll share the story of another friend, a hot air balloonist like myself, whose flying career was stolen by a serious traffic accident, but who, in the aftermath, has created one of the newest ways to enjoy Scotland's waters with the country's first pedal kayak adventure and photography tours. That's next time. So until then, I'm Glenn Moyer, top of late, I guess Alpha Gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Or get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol tartan sky 
and thank you for listening.